All right, guys. Well, we're going to jump in. We got a, a word for you today. I'm excited. Uh, we are finishing up our series called Let Him Lead. Has this blessed anyone? I hope it has. So we're here last Sunday. Yes, we dove into the testing of the Lord. Uh, it was a powerful time. So I want to jump right in. Um, I mentioned this last week, but God's will for your life is for you to be conformed into the image of his son. That this is the consistent destination in God's leadership in your life. That where God leads you to go or don't go, where he leads you to say yes to or say no to, who he leads you to be in relationship with or not with, is all filtered through what will conform you into the image of Jesus. That's it. That's the goal. And so today is the last sermon of our series, and I want to go down uh, and talk about the ways that God leads that we cover in this series. The first thing is that God leads through his voice, God leads through the spirit, God leads through testing, and today we're going to talk about how God leads through the church. God leads through his body. I want to break this down that every believer in Jesus is a part of the church, but when we gather together, we become the church. That the word church, right, it means ecclesia, which means gathering or assembly. So the body becomes the church when its members gather together in submission to the head, which is Jesus. And so as we see here, right, the word church literally means gathering, it means an assembly. And so every single one of us, we are all a part of the global church. Every single one of us is a, a part of his body. But when we come together, when we gather together, we become the body. Does that make sense? Okay. Colossians 1.18 says this, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. I want to break down the purpose of the church. If we're going to be led by the church, we have to understand the purpose of the church. There's three things that we get from Matthew 22. The first thing, the purpose of the church is to love and worship God in proximity and in the place of his presence. The second one is to edify one another through the word, discipleship, and community. And the third one is to further the gospel of the kingdom in our city and in the nations. So today we're going to dive into how God leads us through his church, specifically through his people, okay, which is community, and through leadership, which is pastors and spiritual leaders. So I want to paraphrase this, almost give you the thesis of today's message, and it's that God uses community to heal us, and he uses leadership to grow us. God uses community to heal us, and he uses leadership to grow us. So let's pray as we dive in. Father, thank you so much for the body of Christ. Lord, we come into full submission to you as the head of the church Lord, would you give us eyes to see what you see and ears to hear what you're saying? Lord, let your word become living and active. Would you reveal yourself in a new and fresh way? Lord, we come and our 
hearts are open to receive what you have for us. So would you speak in this place in Jesus' name? Amen, amen, amen. All right, so the first thing that I mentioned is that God uses community to heal us. Who has ever experienced healing in the context of community? Come on, keep your hands up, look at that. All right, community heals us. I wanna highlight James 5, 16, which which says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? So that you may be what? The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So going back to the Garden of Eden, when we see sin enters the narrative, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and it says that they hid themselves from God, right? They, 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 they hid between the trees, and you see, it says that God was walking in the cool of the day, and he says this to Adam and Eve. He says this phrase, where are you? He says to them, where are you? And who knows, God can see through leaves, Right? There's nothing impressive about leaves. You can't hide from God. Someone needs to to know that. You can't hide from God. So there's something deeper here in his question, where are you? Jewish scholars actually believe that this question is an invitation to confession. That confession is the response to the question that God is asking, where are you actually at? That confession is to reveal what is actually going on. That not only was Adam and Eve hiding physically, they were hiding internally, right? Shame is now an ingredient, a part of the human experience that never existed before. Shame was never supposed to be a part of the human experience. Shame was never supposed to be a part of God's design that we were designed to be completely barren before God. And it says, Adam says this. He says, God's like, why did you hide? He says, the reason we hide was because we were naked and ashamed. And God says, who told you that? Who told you that you have to be afraid of being vulnerable before me? Who says that you have to hide when you are weak? And so in this verse, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray so that you may be healed. That sin is not an accusation or a condemnation. It's simply a diagnosis. That when you are confessing your sins or or someone is inviting you to confess your sin, they're not inviting you to accuse you or condemn you. It's to simply diagnose the issue. It's like naming the disease that gets in the way of doing what you were made to do. That unless you can name the disease, you won't know how to become free from it. You won't know how to to live now outside of that. Because here's the thing, guys, that God can't heal what we keep hidden. And it's not that it's impossible for him. God can do anything. But what happens is when we can't reveal something, when we're hiding something, it shows that we're actually not willing to be free. The thing is, God will not force you to receive what you don't want. So when he gives this invitation, confess your sins, right? I think we're, we, we picture like Roman Catholic confession booth, right? Like, Father, forgive me for my sins. 
And we feel like it's this really shameful, murky thing. But it's simply an invitation to come out of the fig leaves. To come out in the open, say, this is where I'm actually at. Come and heal me. So when we confess our sins to God, we are saved, right? Confess your sins and believe with your mouth that he is Lord. When we confess our sins to God, we are saved. Listen to this. But it's in the place of community that we confess our sins and we receive healing. Because what happens is now the thing that was hidden, that we said, God, you don't have access to, the thing that says, God, I, I, I don't trust you enough to be real about this thing. God places community in your life so you can practice how to live back in the garden. That he places people in your life, community, brothers and sisters, right? If you've been in home groups, right? You, he puts you in a place where you can actually go back to your design, as someone that doesn't have to live in shame and isn't afraid of their nakedness. Right, because the truth is God knows every hidden part of your heart. He knows your struggle. You confessing it to him isn't anything new, but confessing to one another breaks the stronghold of isolation. And once we come out of hiding, the healing can finally happen. And so going back to the garden, what caused Eve to eat the fruit, which ultimately ushered in sin? What was the thing that caused sin to come into the picture? You ready for this? It was the lie that she can't trust God and others. The serpent said, did he really say that? Is, is he really trustworthy? Can you really trust his word and what he said to you? That was the root, like ushered in the fall, was the belief that she couldn't trust God and ultimately Adam as well. And this is the same lie today that keeps us from the fullness of community. And it's in the place of vulnerability and confession that we declare our trust again. It's in the place of community and vulnerability and confession that we declare our trust again. At Galatians 2.6, we love this verse. It says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You want to know something mind-blowing? For someone to carry your burden, you have to actually share the burden. <laughs> you actually have to tell them about the burden. Right? It's in the place, in the power of confession that the load and burden isn't for you to carry alone any longer. And the thing is, most of us actually do this. We, we don't name it confession. <laughs> We're like, pastor, I need to confess something to you. We don't do that. But when we invite community into our process, into our pain, it's a act of confession. And so this is why and how God uses community to heal us. So the second thing we're gonna dive into is that God uses leadership to grow us. Okay, you guys ready for this one? 
God uses community to heal. God uses leadership to grow us. For the, the chunk of the message, going to really dive into this. I think it's really, really important. Uh, but before we can understand how important this is, that I want to first acknowledge people who have been hurt by the church. Especially those hurt by those in places of leadership. Because before we go any further into actually understanding how important this is, the root of this has to be addressed. And I just want to say first that as your pastor here, I understand. I've been under controlling, manipulative leadership. I've been under leadership that wanted to use my gifting for their purposes, not to actually support. You know, I've experienced church hurt even in building our own church (laughs) of people who come and say that they want to serve and lead, but then use it for their own motives and then leave. I get it, I understand it, and I have experienced it, and the list can go on. But I want to acknowledge the people first who have been emotionally, physically, or spiritually abused by those in the church. And that we see in scripture that Jesus oftentimes has the harshest words for the religious leaders who were hypocritical. And so he understands. He doesn't stand by it. And I want to say this, that the place you were hurt is the very place he wants to restore. To restore something is to build something back up. So if you've been hurt by your father, he will use fathers in the church to restore and heal what a father looks like. If you've been hurt by men, he will use healthy brothers to restore and heal what men are like. And in the same way, if you've been hurt by the church, to heal that, he wants to use a healthy church to restore and build up the pieces that have been broken. And my desire, and hopefully for some of you who've been here long enough, that breakthrough will be that place. Now, one of the the words the Lord gave me way back before we started, he said that, that, Andrew, I want Breakthrough to take back the name church. What happened was when Breakthrough started, you know, we were super artsy and, you know, like we're we're a church, but like we're not going to like call ourselves a church. And so we were just a community, right? We're a Breakthrough community. And uh, because of that season, it was just, you know, so used to, to, to the idea of church being like this dirty cuss word. Right, we were reaching a lot of broken people and the artistic crowd and people that were far from God. And so, so we, we, we started as Breakthrough Community, but we are functioning as a church. And I remember uh, as I was praying, the Lord's like, Andrew, you need to start calling yourself a church. I'm like, like I don't want to do that. Like, that's not cool, right? And the Lord said to me, Andrew, I want Breakthrough to be a place that takes back the name church. And so... For those who've been hurt by the church, I know that it's very easy to miss out on the beautiful and tangible way that God desires for us to be healed and led through the church. And so I wanna say this, that if you have been hurt in the church, first thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge the pain. That if you suppress it and you ignore it and you over-spiritualize it, you won't be able to get healed because God can't heal what you ignore. The second thing is that you have to forgive and you have to release those who hurt you. This may be the hardest one, 
but you have to forgive and release those who hurt you. That forgiveness often blocks our ability to receive healing from God. Not because he's holding it back because we are holding bitterness, but because our bitterness holds us back from being able to receive. The third, and this is so important, is that we have to separate the hurt from God's people, from God's nature, right? We've seen so many people hurt in the church. Maybe you've been hurt in the church and you walked away from church as a whole, but we have to separate the hurt from God's people, from God's nature. And the fourth and last one is to choose to trust church and leadership again, to lean into a healthy church, amen? So Matthew 16, 18 says this, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my what? Jesus says, I will build, whose church? My church, his church, and the gates of hell will not overcome. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, it says this, so Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So who gave these? Christ. So what's the point? That church and church leadership are God's idea. And God doesn't come come up with ideas that don't work. God doesn't come up with ideas with the goal to hurt you. And so we have to realize there's a purpose, a reason, and a benefit in God's design for church and leadership. I'll give you guys an example. Uh, me and my wife were on vacation once, and uh, she, she ate at this, this breakfast place. It's a beautiful place. But she ate at this breakfast place, and she got food poisoning. And we all tracked it down to one thing, and it was an egg. It was an egg. And what happened was it was really intense. She was essentially bedridden for days, throwing up. Like we're on vacation, right? So it's like really bad timing. And it was, it was all traced to this one thing, this egg. <laughs> and what happens is, what if SB, my wife, was to be like, you know what? This was a really bad experience. I'm never going to eat eggs again. You know what? I'm never going to go to a breakfast. I'm never going to eat breakfast anymore for the rest of my life because I got food poisoning from this place. What happens is a lot of us do that. We've seen that happen a lot in the church because we had a bad experience. We just say, okay, I'm never going to trust leadership again. I'm never going to go to church again. I'm never going to do that again. And the thing is, it's not that church and church leadership is bad. It's that church and that church leadership is bad. (laughs) So just don't get eggs at that place. Right? You can go to Gray's, go to My Dog Dukes, get eggs there. I heard someone say one time that what if all of the disciples stopped following Jesus because of Judas? But if... The disciples, and I want you to hear this, this isn't, isn't to disvalidate the pain, but we have to separate the hurt from his nature. So Hebrews 13, 7, it says this. It's really good. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
that I want to quickly talk about what a trustworthy leader looks like. The first thing that we see here in Hebrews 13, 7, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. The first thing is that a trustworthy leader speaks from the word, not from their opinions. For remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. The second thing is a trustworthy leader has a fruitful life based on their obedience to God. Right, scripture gives qualifications for elders and pastors. One of the things says that your house has to be in order. <laughs> Meaning that if you cannot lead your house well, you're not gonna lead a church well. If, if you can't disciple your own kids, you're not gonna be able to disciple someone else's kids. And so when you see a leader to determine if they're trustworthy, look at the fruit of their life. Is this a life? Have I considered the outcome of their life? Has it taken them 30 years to finally be obedient to God? Or have they been walking consistent faithfulness? Which leads to the third thing. A trustworthy leader has a faith and a relationship with God worth imitating. It says this, consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. I say this to our leadership team all the time. Say that if you're gonna disciple someone, your life has to be worth duplicating. Because who you disciple is gonna duplicate how you live. And so what's the point of this? Paul says, follow me, imitate me as I follow Christ. So the, a trustworthy leader has a faith and relationship with God worth imitating. Let's go to Matthew 20, 25 to 27. It says this, but Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. So the fourth thing is that a trustworthy leader doesn't use their position to control or manipulate. A trustworthy leader doesn't use their position to control or manipulate, that they don't lord or flaunt their authority over those under them. And the fifth and last one is that a trustworthy leader serves and cares for those they lead. Bill Johnson, he has this amazing quote. He says, rule as a servant, or sorry, Serve as a king and rule as a servant. Serve as a king, but rule as a servant. And so the goal of a spiritual leader, and I want to define what this looks like in our context. A spiritual leader is your pastors. If you're serving here, those who you are serving under. If you're in a home group, those that God has entrusted to lead and steward. Your home group mentors in your lives, those who are discipling you, okay? The goal of a spiritual leader is to help you grow into Christ's likeness, right? Because what is the destination of God's leadership? It's always to conform you into the image of his son. So the goal of a spiritual leader is to help you grow into Christ's likeness, to make sure your soul is healthy, and to keep you aligned with God's word and truth. This is the goal of a spiritual leader. 
that we all need leaders in our life. So, like I mentioned before, that there's a season when I was under really unhealthy church leadership, that the concept of submission, you guys love that word, um, the concept of submission was used in a really unhealthy and, and just kind of gross and manipulative way, right? Literally what Jesus says not to do, where their authorities flaunted over those under them. And what happened is that I, as a leader, said I'm never going to be a controlling leader. And what happened is I swung the whole other way. <laughs> so my goal, which my motive was good, but my goal was I'm going to try to be the most uncontrolling leader I can possibly be because I don't want to hurt people. But what happened was I built a leadership team that was never challenged, <laughs> never corrected, never guided, never pushed. What happened is we had great people, but we didn't have a great leadership. What happened is, if you guys don't know this, everything in a church culture flows top down. That the culture in a church flows top down. So the culture that's stewarded in a church's leadership is why the culture of the church is the way it is, whether good or bad. <laughs> so if you're in a church and has an unhealthy culture, this is probably an unhealthy culture in the leadership. But if you have a church whose leadership has a healthy culture, not a perfect, okay? No church leadership is perfect. Our church leadership is not perfect. But has a healthy leadership in, the body will be healthy so what happened was in my journey of, of breakthrough growing and growing and understanding leadership, the more I study it, I started to see the power of healthy leadership and the safety of expecting healthy submission <laughs> for myself personally, but also for those under me that I'm leading. So we're going to go into something pretty heavy. You guys ready? Look to your neighbor and say, get ready. Look to your other neighbor and say, buckle up. All right. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Do we have the NIV? Can we pull that one up? Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says this: Obey your leaders and submit to them. It's really quiet. Obey your leaders and submit to them. I want you to follow me. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. A few caveats before I break this down because it's really important. A few caveats is that obeying your leaders can only happen if you trust them. That once you see that they are trustworthy leader, a leader that speaks from the word, not their opinions, that has a fruitful life, that has a faith worth imitating, that doesn't use their position to manipulate others, that serves those and cares for those that they lead, then they are a leader worth following and listening to. That obeying a leader isn't blind trust and it isn't listening to what they say over God because God holds the ultimate authority. And the third caveat is that God has called you to a church. If God has called you to a church, which is why it's important, you know that you're called here. 
right? It says that he sets the lonely in family. If God has called you to a church, God isn't going to lead you somewhere that's going to damage you. If God has called you to a church, then he's also calling you to the leaders at that church. Like I said, if you're coming here and you, you love the culture, right? I know people that say, I just come here for the worship, which is awesome. Praise God, right? Issa's doing a great job. I'm just here for the worship. And it doesn't mean that you have to come here for me, but what happens is when you're coming to a church, you're not just coming for the culture, you're coming for what the leadership is leading in the culture. Does that make sense? So if God has called you to church, he's also calling you to the leaders at that church because he's going to give them, I want you to hear this, because he's going to give them what they need to equip and empower you in your life. So I want to break this down because I know for a lot of people, this verse maybe has been used to control or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. You're like, ah, it's kind of icky. I want to break this down because it's so important that the word obey here means to trust and be convinced by. So in Greek, the word obey your leaders means to trust and be convinced by. That the reason God entrusts leaders in your life is to help us mature. That if you don't trust your leaders, then you miss out on the opportunity to actually receive and grow. That people oftentimes don't want to be led because they, won't, they don't want to be held accountable. Right? Accountability isn't church hurt. Because accountability is the very thing that you need to grow. I'm going to give you an example. Right? My, my pastor, my mentor, whenever I have uh, something that I, I'm, I'm presenting to him or I'm talking to him about, right? the word obey, if you saw the other translation, it, it also says have confidence in your leader that I am convinced by what he says. So what that means is, I don't just do whatever he says. What that means is I know the fruit of his life. I know what he's built. I know what he's done. And so when he says something to me, I am convinced by it and I trust what he says. Does that make sense? Right, this is, right, for someone who has built a church, you know, maybe five times longer and bigger and more structured and healthier and more stable than ours, when he gives me and tells me something about church structure and leadership, I'm convinced by what he says because of who he is. Does that make sense? So if you have a leader, a spiritual leader that God has put in your life and you just, you just never obey anything that they say, you're just like, they're telling you things, you're like, ah, I don't know, like, I know you have all the experience and wisdom and knowledge and you've, you know, you have more kids than I have and you've done this way longer than I have, but I don't really want to do what you say. Then you're never going to reap the fruit of good leadership. Does that make sense? All right, the second one, the cuss word. The S word, right? The word submit here means to yield to their authority. I want you to see it in this way. Think of when you write a paper for a class. Remember in maybe middle school, I don't think you do this in college anymore. But when you're writing a paper, you have to give a rough draft. You know what I'm talking about? You give your teacher a rough draft. You submit your paper to them for them to review and for them to correct and for them to show what is wrong so you can do what is right. So in the same way with leadership, 
that when you are submitting to them, what you're doing is you're saying, here is a part of my life, right? Here, here is my relationship. Here is, here is a situation I'm going through. I want to submit it to a spiritual leader in my life for you to show me what is correct and show me how I need to grow. And what happens is if we as Christians, right, I kind of call, call these people rogue wolves or, or rogue sheep, sorry, rogue sheep that live their life, you know, they're riding the circuit, going everywhere preaching and, and teaching and revival everywhere they go, but they're not submitted to a leader, very often you'll see the fruit that there's no one that's keeping them in check. That if there's no accountability to say, hey, you're kind of going off the rails a little bit, <laughs> then it's really hard to trust where they're going. So if you're going to submit to a leader, make sure that leader is submitted to someone. So if you are writing a paper, you submit the paper to your teacher so that you know the areas you need to grow. That submission, let me simplify this in this context, submission is giving a leader authority to speak correct and give guidance in your life. Now this is a very simple example, but we had a situation uh, here. One of our volunteers had kind of like a, a weird situation happen and uh, she was talking to her friend about it. And her friend's like, you should, just, you, know, you should just tell Pastor Andrew about it. Just like tell him, see what he thinks about it. She told me about it. It was a super simple situation. I was like, yeah, you should just do this. And she's like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. She's like, I'm so glad that I asked you. I was like, yeah, it's pretty straightforward, but here you go. And she did it and it was fine, right? So what happened was is she submitted the situation. She submitted what's happening to a spiritual leader in her life that she trusts to speak into. Amen? All right. And this is why. This is right. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us why. We don't just do this blindly, right? You don't, you know, I think in the, the 80s or 90s, there was this really unhealthy movement called the shepherding movement where, you know, every person had to be submitted to someone and whatever they said you had to do. And if you want to pray for someone, you have to ask their permission. If, you know, if you want to move somewhere, you have to, they have to tell you if you're going to do it or not. There was this really unhealthy movement called the shepherding movement that has bled into a lot of church cultures, specifically Pentecostal charismatic cultures. And so I want you to see the, 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 the safety of this and the gift of this, right? God's not going to tell you something to hurt you. God's not going to give you something so that you can be wounded, right? God's ideas aren't mistakes. And so I want you to hear, this isn't saying, okay, you need to go to someone who's a, a, a pastor in your life, a mentor, a leader, so your home group leader, and whatever they say you have to do. But this is inviting you to live a life where you can have covering and safety. Doesn't mean you have to go and ask them, hey, should I buy this or not buy this? you want to, you can, but it's submitting the areas, the big areas in your life that will affect your spiritual development. The areas of your life that, man, I, I don't have enough to speak into this. I need to invite someone else. And this is why we can do this. Hebrews 13, 17. Let's put that back up. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them. Why? Because their work is to keep watch over your souls. So I want you to hear this. The motivation of a trustworthy, of a healthy leader is to lead you not for their own benefit or gain, 
but for the protection of your soul and your heart. That's it. That's, that's the motivation for this. The motivation is, hey, submit to me so you can do what I want. <laughs> the motivation is, hey, just obey what I say because, you know, I'm the boss. Or your mentor says, just do whatever I want because I'm the boss. That's not healthy obedience and submission. But it's for our gain because they see blind spots that we don't see. Right? They see blind spots that we don't see. Here's a Hebrews 13 in the NIRV, and it puts it and condenses everything I've said really, really well. It says this, trust in your leaders. Put yourself under their authority. Do this because they keep watch over you. They know they are accountable to God for everything they do. So if you've been hurt by leaders, you can trust they're accountable to God for everything they do, that there's a heavier accountability on leaders. It says, do this so that their work will be a joy. If you make their work a heavy load, it won't do you any good. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There's safety in having many advisors. You guys okay? And so God uses community and spiritual leadership in his church to heal us and to mature us. And we have to let him lead, right? This is the sermon series. We have to let him lead in every way he desires to lead. Amen? That's it. So next Sunday, we're gonna do something fun. Uh, we are going to have a Q&A teaching. And what we're going to do is next Sunday, we're just going to open the floor, not open mic. You're going to email your questions. Uh, but we're going to have you guys email your questions about anything that we taught on this series, right? We taught about he leads through his voice. If you have questions about his voice, he leads through his spirit. If you have questions about his spirit, he leads through testing. If you have questions about that, he leads through community and leadership. If you have questions on that. Can we put that slide up? I think we have it. And I just want to ask you guys just to email any questions. You can, you know, email as much as you want. You can take a picture of this and send it in later this week. But next Sunday, we're just going to have a fun just dialogue, and we're going to unpack some of these things a lot more. I know there's a very limited amount that you can do on one sermon. So this would just be a fun, fun, fun time uh, to unpack some of these things a bit deeper. Um, so now the worship team come up. We're going to close. I just want to pray. That the Lord will restore what community is and what leadership is supposed to look like.